Who Dis? It's the Play Sheet Podcast coming in with a late, delayed last entry of the season. Joe, I've been ill for a, a little period of time. You've been working till 5am, but we felt that we needed to at least do one last episode before we wrap things up. Just couldn't leave things how they were. No, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't ready to say goodbye. Yeah. Amen. So Super Bowl, look, it's been and gone. We're not going to dwell on that at all. Everyone's got their opinions. Everyone's got their views. Just in case anyone's interested at all, let's just give a very two minute summary of our thoughts of it. And then we'll move on to bigger and better things, talking about some of the personnel changes, some of the things that are a little bit in limbo in terms of people's contracts and and where a few teams go from here. I mean, very briefly, from my point of view, Joe, I thought the Super Bowl was one of the best Super Bowl games I've seen in quite a while, to be honest. I know that there was some contention around that last holding call. Again, look, I think it was a holding call. Obviously, we've spoken about this in the past. There's some frustration around the consistency of calls because a few calls like that were not being called earlier in the game and then they get called in one of the final plays. There was frustration there. But look, even the the Eagles team themselves put their hands up. They said, yeah, it was a hold. But look, that's not what determined the game for us. And I think they're absolutely right. Yeah, I think the Eagles were very magnanimous how they came out and said it was a holding call. So fair play to them. There was one player who, in a whole, you know, in both teams, who wasn't magnanimous. We'll come back to him. I think you know who I'm going to be talking about. But we said, we said, I think it was week seven, week eight, but we were annoyed that a call hadn't been made because it was the end of a game and where it was. And we wanted that kind of consistency of if it's a holding call, it's a holding call. It doesn't matter if it's the first minute, the 30th minute, the 60th minute. It is what it is. And it was what it was. You know, it was soft holding. He probably didn't need to do it. But he did, and it was a hold, and so it was a right call. I think it's just disappointment because, like you say, it was a really good Super Bowl until that point, and everyone just wanted more of it. People just wanted it to go on. But look, just just be happy for what it was, and just be happy that we're not here talking about, oh, well, there should have been a holding call, and that's why the Chiefs didn't win Super Bowl, or something like that. It's come and gone. player who I want to talk about who is not magnanimous, who we've talked about on this show previously, he's becoming a persona non grata on this show, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chaz. What a wally. Just what's a wally, right? When you haven't really contributed to your team winning much. It's not like, you know, he's first choice receiver, second choice receiver. It's probably like fourth or fifth on people who Patrick Mahomes looks to throw the ball to, maybe even lower than that. And he's given all this chat like he's Tom, I'm a hard Joe Montana. Juju Smith-Schuster has got to be up there in the top three most annoying people in the National Football League over the last 10 years. He's the heel of the NFL. <laughs> he's doink for clown, though. He's not even a good heel. It's not like, you know, it's not like he's coming out here and, like, rock on a heel turn. He's really doink the clown. He's an absolute joke. Yeah, completely agree. We're going to go on to talk about where do these teams go from now? Can they run it back? I think the one thing to say is, which I think was, it was certainly a surprise for me while I was watching it. Offensively, Kansas City looked sharp, as they always do. Offensively, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles looked phenomenal. I don't think that Eagles offense could have done much more in that game. Where it fell down for the Eagles was their defense, which was a surprise because they've been one of the best defenses, arguably the best defense, all season. Yeah, yeah. They just couldn't get to Mahomes in a way they've got to basically every quarterback through the regular season and the, and the playoffs. I think we mentioned 
a long time ago now, but we mentioned in Championship Week. I think that the Eagles needed something like, what was it, four more sacks to break the all-time 1985 Bears record, something like that. This was a sack team, and they were an underrated sack team, because no one was talking about how many sacks the Eagles had, but they almost had a record number of sacks, and they just couldn't sack Mahomes in this game. Um, I'm not looking at the stats in front of me now, but I can't actually remember Mahomes getting sacked. I think he finished that game clean. I don't think they got to him once, and, you know, that was a difference maker here. Yeah, so... Moving on from the game itself, because everybody will have read and heard all the analysis they can about it, and we don't want to dwell on that. Kansas City, in a good position to run it back, do you think? Yeah, and I'm going to say the difference between these two teams. There's one massive elephant in the room difference on why one team is going to find it easier to run it back. This is a Kansas City team which got to the Super Bowl with a quarterback already on a big contract. We mentioned this before, it's so important. Hurts is due his payday right now. He's you know the same draft class as Burrow, as Herbert. These guys are all looking for that kind of third-year contract this season now. They need to get paid. And so the Eagles... The Eagles have a lot of players who need to get played. It's not going to be the same team next season. James Bradbury, Kazir White, CJ Garner-Johnson, Javon Hargreave, Jalen Hurts. You can't pay them all. You're going to have to cut players, make compromises in this team. The Chiefs don't. The Chiefs are paying Mahomes. They're paying Kelsey. They're paying their big players. They can run it back a lot easier. So it's going to be a lot harder for the Eagles to get back here next season than it will be for the Chiefs. Yeah, and potentially the domination of the Kansas Chiefs continues. So it will be interesting to watch them next year. You know, we talk about uh, rookies and the importance of rookies. Looks like they've got a great one in Pachenko there. They're not going to have to pay him for a number of years. And it was the piece that we talked about, what that team was missing in a running back. It seems that they found a really cheap success story there, which enables them to spend money elsewhere as and when they need to so yeah I feel like the Chiefs are in a great position to you know no one's going to make predictions here saying they're going to win it again next year but certainly put themselves in the lead for it I think that in years to come people are going to look back on the 450 million dollar contract that Patrick Mahomes signed and that's probably going to be one of the all-time record cheapest contracts in the league. Sounds crazy talking about half a billion as a cheap contract. But when you have Deshaun Watson making an average $46 million a year, fully guaranteed. Mahomes making less than that. Kyler Murray is making $46.1 million a year. Russell Wilson's contract, $49 million a year. Aaron Rodgers, sure, he's better than those players who I've just mentioned there. But he's on over $50 million a year in terms of cap hit. Mahomes is basically 45 million a year for the next, what is it, eight years left on this? The quarterback market is going to get reset this offseason by Herbert, by Burrow, by Hertz. And you're going to have Mahomes just chugging away on that cheap deal. I think, if anything, the Kansas City Chiefs window is, is kind of just starting because of how cheap Mahomes is going to be when these quarterback contracts are reset. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the quarterbacks that we want to talk about amongst this is going to be Lamar Jackson but just before we move on to discuss him and what's going to go down with the Ravens let's briefly talk about Kelsey before we move away from Super Bowl obviously I mean he has been unreal for the Chiefs every time that it looks like the Chiefs are potentially in trouble Kelsey is just such an incredible option to turn to he seems to pluck everything from the air where are we ranking Kelsey in terms of you know fantastic tight ends because obviously his career's not over there's more to come you putting him above Gronk 
<sighs> That's a really, really good question. I think until this Super Bowl, whatever you wanted to really call, you, you know, Gronk's got, was it four rings that he's got? Gronk's got as many rings as he's got. Kelsey, until the Super Bowl, had one. So, you know, it's all well and good talking about yards, talking about touchdowns, talking about this and that. Four rings to one, it, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Now that Kelsey's got that second ring, he's still in there, still competing. <sighs> it's it's hard to compare players because in a way, they're almost in two different eras here as well. You've got the era of Patriots dominance, in the uh, 10s to the 20s, you've now got this new era of Chiefs dominance. Different opponents, different kind of composition of a league. For me, though, for me, in the way that Kelsey just constantly, constantly gets open, the way that he stays healthy as well, because, you know, part of this league is about being available. That's one of, there's many coaches who will say the most important trait for a player is being available. Uh, Kelsey is available a lot more than Gronk was for his career. It's no longer just easy to end the argument by saying Gronk's got four rings. I think that right now it's a knife edge between them. You can make a strong case for both. Like, let's not play Gronk down. When Gronk was at his dominant best, I'm talking dominant Gronk, where he was just stiff-arming people out of existence. Let's not play down who Gronk was. But Kelsey's been so good for so long consistently now and has helped to elevate Patrick Mahomes to the player that he is. So really, really tough. I, I know I've not really answered it there. Where do you sit on it, Charles? I mean, his athleticism for such a big man is unreal. You talked about Gronk, and likewise, Gronk got himself open a lot. I think Gronk's strength lay in his strength. He was able, like you said, to strong on people, to power through people, to create separation. With Kelsey, it's, I mean, his route running is remarkable. I was looking at, at the Super Bowl several weekends ago, and there were there were throws that Mahomes was making, and there was no one in the same area code. And you're just thinking, where, where how did he get that free? I think that is something that's very special about Kelsey. And I, I agree, you know, his availability seems to always be healthy. Uh, it is tight. It is close. Look, if Kelsey went on to do nothing more, I think I'd probably still be in the Gronk camp. But I think he's got plenty of career left in him. And I don't think it'll take too much more for me personally to just put him over the the hill there and just edge out Gronk by the time his career's over. Yeah, there's, there's so many comparisons that you can make between these players, there's less than 100 days of age between them, which I think is actually very interesting when you think about it. Gronk, let's be honest, hasn't really been relevant as a tight end for, was it two seasons now? Two and a half seasons. Uh, whereas Kelsey is still the elite tight end in the league, still peaking. They're the same age. They've played almost exactly the same amount of games for their career. Gronk, if he is finished, finished on 143. Kelsey's had 144. Just throwing it out there just in Gronk's favor, just to make the kind of counter-argument. Kelsey's had 69 TDs, and it feels like Kelsey scored TDs pretty regularly. You know, he's had a hit rate of basically one every two games for his season, but I think that's kind of accelerated as his kind of career's gone on. Gronk finished up with 92 touchdowns. That's Wow. Yeah. And so, as like I said, it's, it's, it's easy when you're looking at Kelsey and saying how good Kelsey is to just forget how dominant Gronk was. I think there's something similar when people talk about defensive linemen of recent years. People forget how dominant J.J. Watt was. There was one span for about two or three seasons where people talk about Aaron Donald. They might talk about Chris Jones. They talk about this player, that player. For two to three years, just before J.J. Watt got badly hurt, 
he was getting three to four sacks every game. He was getting a forced fumble every game. It was it was madness, and this was while being double teamed as well. So when you see a good player in front of you, it's very easy to disregard those players of a past. That's not me saying that I say Gronk is better than Kelsey, but I'm just not ready quite yet to separate them from being 1A, 1B on top of Titan Mountain. But it's only those two I think we're in agreement with. You know, there's been some other great Titans through the years, but those two are the dominant Titans of any era. Yeah, they're the standouts, and you've got to wait till both players have finished their career before I think you can accurately judge. But it's going to be interesting to see it play out. Absolutely. Right then, Joe, let's move on to talk about Lamar Jackson then, because that's probably one of the most interesting, if not mysterious, kind of unanswered questions for the offseason at the moment. Lamar Jackson, 15 days away from becoming a free agent, he's been talking with the Ravens about this new deal for about two and a half years now and they've still not managed to come to any form of agreement he's been operating certainly for the last portion of that without an agent he clearly knows what he thinks he's valued at he wants that guaranteed money now presumably the only reason that the Ravens are slightly reticent about this is because for the entire period they've had him he has been quite injury prone. So giving a lot of guaranteed money to a player who gets injured almost every season is potentially a risk. But I mean, we spoke about this. What are the Ravens without Jackson? It feels like a huge gamble to let him go. Do you think he'll walk? I don't even really think it's an injury thing, Charles. I think that's given the Ravens an out. It's given an excuse for it. I just don't think they believe in Lamar Jackson. And which is a really weird thing to say because we've spoken about this previously about how they don't win when Jackson's not on the field. He's he's been the difference maker for them. They don't really have the most dynamic playmakers on offense for them. Really, you look at the wide receiver room. I'm sure you've got players like Mark Andrews in there. You've had a couple of all right running backs through the years, but but they're not that much of a dynamic offense there. It it's not really worked when Hundley's been on instead of Lamar Jackson. It just feels like they don't really believe in him. They don't believe in him enough to guarantee a contract over six years like I think he wanted. He he, he basically wanted a Deshaun Watson contract. Similar money. I think he wanted five years, 50 million fully guaranteed. Deshaun Watson's on 46 million, five years fully guaranteed. He, he basically wanted a Deshaun Watson contract. And to be honest, Charles, don't you think that if you're Lamar Jackson and you've seen Deshaun Watson who's done absolute diddly squat for the last couple of years getting paid that money in the same division as you you must think you must be worth it it's insane I can't, I can't understand like you say he's asking for Deshaun Watson money I look at Deshaun Watson and I go give him the bag because he's streets ahead of him at the moment now obviously Deshaun Watson he's come back in part way through a season let's see what he looks like after he's had a full off season to prepare and he comes back in from you know, from the beginning with this Browns team. But still, I just think he is he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league at the moment. I don't understand why you wouldn't you wouldn't want to pay him. And I think that the game that the Ravens play, I think, as you said, they're not an incredibly dynamic offensive team. So they need a player like Jackson there to keep them competitive, in my view. I think you let him go and and they become 
a bit shapeless and I think they struggle offensively. You know, the Ravens have been good for the last few years defensively, but I, I just think it makes me nervous. No, Jackson, I just don't understand where this team thinks they're going without a player like him. And these, these arguments that people use against Jackson saying that he's, you know, all this nonsense about being a running back, a playing quarterback, can't free the ball. It's absolute nonsense. It's lazy people who don't watch football. Look at the starts that the Ravens have made over the past few years and look at how Lamar Jackson is throwing that ball. He can absolutely throw it when he can throw it with accuracy. And he can throw it with accuracy uh, more so than some of the more kind of uh, vaulted quarterbacks through the league. Charles, I'm going to read out five quarterbacks here. Tell me what connects them. Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, Mike White, Andy Dalton, and Jordan Love. What's the link between those five quarterbacks, Charles? Uh, backup quarterbacks? <laughs> they're, they're the five quarterbacks who are currently higher in the average salary per year than Lamar Jackson is. You are joking me. Jordan Love hasn't started a single game. <laughs> He's not started a single game. His his average pay per year is just over three million because of where he was drafted and the year he was drafted. Lamar Jackson on his rookie contract still, his average salary per year is about two point four million. And he's been playing on that all the way through his rookie contract. So you can see why Lamar is kind of at the point now. Now, you mentioned that he's 15 days away from free agency. He's not hitting free agency in that kind of classic sense. It looks like they're not going to agree a contract with him. That's almost a given. So I think you've got two weeks to trade or it's going to be a franchise tag and probably a franchise tag and trade, if we're honest. So there's two teams that he's closely linked with at the moment if he becomes available. One of those is the Falcons and the other one's the Panthers. Where would you think the better fit is for him if he does look to move on? Really good question. I think both of those teams on the quiet have potential, but the Falcons, uh, I mean, they drafted Ritter, but I mean, he was a third round draft pick. So it's, it's not like they've... Trey launched him and kind of mortgaged the future for him. Mariota, you know, topical was released today. So they're almost a quarterback lust team, if that kind of makes sense. Got some good young rookies in the offense. Got Kyle Pitts, Drake London. There's players out there. Similar kind of situation in Carolina, but, you know, probably more veterans, a bit more of a, a seasoned team, so to speak. I'll be honest, I don't think Lamar going into either of those teams is likely to result in more wins than he's going to get with the Ravens. I think this is a sad outcome for probably both Lamar and for the Ravens. But I'm not going to sit here, Charles, and say that I think going to the Falcons or the Panthers is is a win on either part. That whole kind of NFC South division at the minute feels a little bit, yeah, if you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. I The only thing I would say is I do not hate the idea of him going to the Falcons in terms of when I think about when I think about the way that Lamar Jackson has traditionally played and how those teams are currently set up. I mean, they've got dynamic runners at the Falcons, which is very much the kind of style he's been playing with with the Ravens with a complimentary running back room, which kind of help him. They look defensively traditionally they've been very weak but they've started to work on that a little bit more I think with a bit of investment this offseason bringing Lamar Jackson into the team as well I agree with you it's neither of these teams are better positioned than the Ravens 
but I don't think it would be sending him off to the farm if he ended up with the Falcons. I think that that would turn that team into, you know, possibly, yeah, a yeah. better team. Yeah, shall, shall I tell you what I think is the factor for me in this? It's not actually Lamar Jackson, and we're gonna. This is a player who we're gonna come to next. It's Derek Carr, because if Derek Carr goes to the Saints, then suddenly the Saints are a competitive team in the NFC South. If the Saints don't sign a good free agent quarterback and the Buccaneers don't, then it's just devoid of talent. And so any team that picks up a decent quarterback can theoretically win the NFC South. There's not a dominant side or a side that looks good there. They all look pretty pony right now. So if Carr goes there, it's more competitive, harder to win. If just Jackson goes there and Carr doesn't go into the NFC South, then you're almost guaranteed playoff football. Yeah, so look, let's shift to Carr because that's a nice little segue. A little segue I've done on purpose. Look at that. I've been doing a podcast for three years. <laughs> Jets are highly linked with him, you know, and, and we spoke about their quarterback headache over the course of this season. They've managed it terribly. The way that they handled Wilson's almost demotion from the team, the T-shirts that the other players wore, then they had to bring him back. It was dreadful. Bringing somebody fresh like Carr in, who, let's face it, is probably an upgrade on any quarterback that they've had over the last four seasons, it could be a really good option for them. Yeah, it's it's so Jets really, isn't it? And I think there's a lesson here as well. Can can you remember when everyone was saying about how Mike White was the future of the Jets? I remember that clearly. <laughs> and we said on the show, let's slow down and put some brakes on this. Who's talking about Mike White now? So all the Jets are talking about is basically every free agent quarterback out there, be it Aaron Rodgers, be it Derek Carr. It'll probably be Marcus Mariota now as well. Anyone who's a vet is getting linked with the Jets. You're right, Charles. It's handed atrociously. We've spoke about that on previous podcasts. Will Derek Carr go there? I think Derek Carr's got options. And he's not asking for crazy money either, is he? I think he's probably being pretty reasonable but i mean it doesn't have to be the jets like i said it could be the saints the saints have been linked to him so there's a strong link there it could be panthers like we've just mentioned and then titans Tannehill's gonna be 35 years old with a relatively big cap hit number in 2023 if Carl's gonna have a similar cap hit why not just have Carr over Tannehill? because Tannehill clearly has been on the decline for the last couple of seasons does Carr want to go to the jets i'm not sure i'd be interested in hearing from jets fans it just feels like, if I was a Jets fan, I'd kind of be concerned a little bit because it seems they're acting a little bit. It seems like management is acting a little bit like they're a team that's Super Bowl ready and they just need to slot in a quarterback. Almost like they think they're the Colts now of a couple of seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, where the Colts were like, we just need to find our veteran quarterback and we've got to go through everyone, whether that's Wentz or Rivers or whoever. Just And once we get that quarterback in, then we'll be in Disneyland by February. It's just not happening like that. Just yeah. have a lot of other stuff they have to fix. And the offence as a whole still isn't where it needs to be. I know there's some decent rookies been through this, but Carl, as a player who where he is with his agent, with his career, he'd be going into a team that's still relatively early on in their journey to get to where they want to be. Hmm. And then another person on the move, Josh Jacobs, and 
you know, before we go into talk about him, we said it's a Jets thing to do, but oh, talk about the Raiders, man. I mean, what was it? Two seasons ago when they thought they had it, you know, they got Josh Jacobs. They had he who shall not be named on their team, you know, bright wide receiver. They had Derek Carr. They had a, a new stadium. They were high on life. Oh, what are they now? They let Carr go. They let Jacobs go. They don't have any real serviceable wide receivers left. I know that, of course, Devontae Adams moved over there, but what did they do with him? So, oh, where are they now? Well, let me throw something back at you, Charles. You know how that how the Raiders suddenly feel like everything's coming up Raiders. There, there's still a chance, I think, that Aaron Rodgers plays in Las Vegas next season. I'm not saying it's the most likely outcome, but it's one of the outcomes that's out there. Suddenly you have Rodgers playing out there. Devante Adams is like a kid at Christmas because he's got his best buddy for life back. But then think about that offense. You've got Rodgers, Adams, Renfro for the third downs. You've got Darren Waller coming back off injury. Doesn't actually look too terrible. Now, Jacobs, you know me, as harsh as it is, I don't think you should really pay running backs they're 10 a penny, they get worn out. Jacobs already has a bit of tread on the tyres. You could franchise tag him if you wanted to. Franchise tag for a running back this season, I think, is 10.1 million. So affordable. Jacobs was very effective last season. You know, one of the most voluminous in terms of yards in the league. But I think the Raiders need to decide where they are and what they're doing. Carr is gone. They don't really have a quarterback to make up for it. Are they going to go in full rebuild? In which case, they should absolutely get rid of Jacobs. Or are we going to do some kind of semi-rebuild, patch things together? The second option is not the right option. I think that if they're serious about moving forward, just get rid of Jacobs. Brave new world. Yeah. I mean, look, this might just be me being a bitter Green Bay fan, but the thought of Rogers going to play in Vegas, it it just screams peep show to me. Like, ah, ah. <laughs> Speaking of that peyote he could do in the desert, though, he'd be in his absolute <laughs> element. Uh, okay. And then uh, final player on the move, potentially, Saquon Barkley. Saquon, man, yeah. So he's coming up to free agency. Uh, what do the Giants do here? Now, mentioned previously that the uh, running back franchise tag is 10.1 million. Obviously, though, Charles, you can only franchise tag one player. And the unknown here is what's going to happen with Daniel Jones. He's potentially up for a tag. So the Giants are faced with a bit of a conundrum here if they can't work out the Daniel Jones contract. Now, I think they want to keep him, but... I would say they probably don't want to get committed for too long, too much guaranteed money, because if we're really honest, as much as I like Jones and I've kind of, you know, been an advocate for him for his career, it was only really last season that he really started to play with the potential that people thought, and it's just been flashes prior to that. And one season doesn't make a five-year guaranteed contract. So the smart money would probably be to tag Jones. He'd get paid well for it, but that would mean that you couldn't tag Saquon. And then there's a big decision, because I think Saquon is probably a lot more questionable than someone like Jacobs. You know, Saquon's clearly got a lot more potential. He's clearly got a lot more ability, but he's got a lot more on his injury bill than Josh Jacobs ever did. So a really tough one there. I mean, what would you do? Would you keep him? Or would you think there's just too much risk? Let's move on. Uh, It is a tough one, especially because I'm with you on this view that overpaying running backs 
seems to be the kryptonite for most teams that look good and then kind of fade off into the sunset. The only thing is, I think Saquon Barkley looked great coming back from injury. And without him, I just worry that the Giants are a touch too pedestrian like so Quan Barkley is that spark he is that unknown he is that dynamic player that can keep teams honest and I don't know if Daniel Jones without him is enough of a game changer to take the Giants to where they want to go so I don't know if right now in this moment Barkley is potentially a more important piece because I agree committing to Jones in the long term I just don't know if it's the the smartest of plays. I think he's a good quarterback, but is he the quarterback that's going to win you the Super Bowl? I'm just not so sure. Look, and winning Super Bowl is what it's all about. The starting running back on the Super Bowl winning team was the fifth highest paid running back on his team, right? So Pacheco is getting paid less currently than LaMichael P. Ryan, Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones is the second highest paid running back in the Chiefs. You combine all the salaries of the Chiefs running backs and they're paid less than what less than what James Connors played. Super Bowl winning teams don't pay running backs. You don't even need to franchise tag them. All of those five running backs there are paid far less than what the franchise tag for a running back in the league is. Do they really need Saquon that much? Is he that important to the Giants when he's not been on the field for probably most of his rookie contract? Yeah, but I think the difference here, Joe, is that for these teams that you talk about that have won Super Bowl, that don't have expensive running backs on their team, they've got something else. They've got superstar quarterbacks, or they've got incredible tight ends, or they have the best defensive line, or, you know, the Giants don't have any of that, in my opinion. But you still don't win a Super Bowl with a running back. When was the last time that a running back won Super Bowl? When was the last no. time that a running back was that much of a game changer that they flipped the switch and won the big game? So you might as well just stop the pretense of paying them this kind of money and just start structuring your wage cap so you can pay a quarterback big money. Do you think there's any value in a tag and trade for Barkley then? I think there's teams in the league who are probably silly Desperate enough, enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, like, don't underestimate the stupidity of some of the front offices out there. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, you're not getting first that kind of compensation for a player like Barkley. For a running back with three, four years tread on a tyre, you're lucky to get probably a late second day pick. So if... Oh, you reckon that low, late second day? Barkley is one injury away probably from ending it all. When you look at what he's done to his knees for the last couple of seasons, he had a good season last year but I mean he was still only a 1200 yard rusher it's not like he's putting out Adrian Peterson 2000 yard seasons he's not doing that so keep things in perspective as well I think really um, Barkley isn't going to accept the money less than probably top running back money and I wouldn't pay that do you really want to pay 16 million a year 17 million a year for Barkley and you're going to have to guarantee probably two three years of that I think that would be bad business. All right then, Joe. Well, we've pretty much run out of time for the last item on our agenda. So if you want to give us a one-liner, tell us about what's going down in Washington at the moment. Oh, so 
Schneider is now trying to block. Who's the Amazon guy, Charles? Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, because he said some mean stuff in his newspaper about him, so he doesn't want him buying the team. I'm not a fan of either man personally, but if I'm Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft or one of those rich guys, I would be severely, severely annoyed by Dan Schneider. He's bringing the whole league into disrepute. Guy's a joke. And there's talk now that they're going to try and remove the franchise from him. And I think it's something that should have happened probably a couple of years ago. A a good excuse would have been when he was doing all the nonsense stuff with cheerleaders rather than, oh, he just won't sell it to the rich man. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, on that cheery note, Joe, as always, we'll be back a week before. Is that how we're going to end the season? Just me saying Snyder's a joke and you saying, yeah. I mean, that's that's a peep show ending to a podcast. And I'm here for it, Joe. I'm here for it. (laughs) So, of course, we'll be back for uh, a week before the draft. We'll give you our uh, our little rundown. Obviously, there's there's a lot that's going down at the moment. A lot of restructured contracts happening as teams try to get under the cap for that March deadline. So teams will look a little bit different come draft time. So we'll uh, we'll take a look at some of those new look teams. We'll mention what they might be looking for and who have most to gain on draft night. And until then, Joe, it's that sad time of the year where we have nothing better to do than constantly press F5 as we await news on football teams as there's no more NFL. Yeah, Charles and I will now not talk until early September. It's been fun, (laughs) (laughs) Our wives wish. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Joe, it's been a really fun season and um, we'll talk podcast in a couple of months time. Speak to you then, Charles. Take care.